Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Patrick, uh, game five tonight in Memphis. And you know what? If, if, if you zoom out for a second here and you see that the uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving Nets just got embarrassingly yes. swept in the first round, um, you know, winning two games against the number two seed and then being up 26. I mean, the Wolves are putting up probably just as much of a fight as anyone could have hoped for before the series started. My uh, big thought last night when I was thinking about the NBA playoffs and everything is, isn't it, it is, it is nice that this is now what the second consecutive year of an unpredictable NBA playoff season, which is kind of nice, isn't it? Now mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. last year the Bucks uh, ended up winning and there were some other upsets along the way. And this year, uh, you know, now because Devin Booker got hurt, but you have the Pelicans, very good chance to advance as a eight seed. And, uh, you know, the, the Wolves are 50-50 right now. And there's some of that going on all around the NBA. It's a bunch of Lakers aren't in the playoffs with, the you know, the senior citizen team uh, did not make it. It's a, it's kind of interesting to have a unpredictable. The NBA is experiencing a little of what the NHL experiences every year. Like, yeah. who's going to win? <laughs> you know, and then even, like, you know, in the Eastern Conference, so Chris Middleton – the Bucks are going to close out the Bulls, but Chris Middleton is is banged up and might yes. not be back until toward the end of the second round. So it's yeah, it is as it wide is. open as yeah, you can it imagine, and, and and it's great because uh, you know this is the first time since '04 that the Timberwolves have been in a playoff series and we didn't know who was going to win. You know, because uh, last time yeah. eighteen, I mean they eighteen, they had a good season, but we knew they weren't going to win. Because Houston was healthy, and you know, you thought, well, hey, they really play good; they can win a game, and they did, and that that went five. But uh, this is the first time that there's any actual drama since '04 uh, with this team. So it's 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 fun. And you know what? The bashing that they took last week was fully deserved, but so is the praise for coming back Saturday because yes. they, it would have been so easy in the tradition of this franchise to just go out there and lay down like dogs and get beat by 20. Couldn't have been so much. Yeah. So what is, what is your, how do you put into context? You know, I was, I hate Carl Anthony Towns behavior when he's, when he's at his worst. I it's, I I hate the petulance. I hate, it's almost narcissistic. It's, but then he, but then he bounces back and he's, so the five games they've played, you know, four in the playoffs and then the Clippers playing game. He's been excellent in two of them, mm-hmm. and he has train wrecked three of them. 
How do you put all of that into I, It's really hard to put into context. My read on this guy is that he is a super sensitive individual who is incapable of taking criticism to the point he even thinks that includes the referees. <laughs> you know, that they, I mean, there's uh, something he's wired as to uh, be, have been praised his whole life. And he can't, he can't take the fact that, uh, that any time that he faces uh, criticism in any form, he can't handle it. And, uh, but this officiating thing, I said this to Judd yesterday, uh, Bill, the NBA has got to get a control on this complaining. Don't you think? I mean, I, I don't want, I'm not a guy who wants to see 25 technicals, but it's ludicrous that every call is somebody, I mean, somebody comes up and gives somebody a karate chop across the head and then he complains when the official is called. They have to do something. They have to get this under control because uh, it's, you know, a lot of people are looking for excuses to bash the NBA anyway, because it's this, you know, progressive, politically, they, you know, they're way out on the, on the, left side of the political spectrum, which makes them uh, targets. But uh, they, 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 they look ridiculous. It's not just the Timberwolves. It's not just Carl Anthony Towns. It's everybody. Yeah. You can't have that complaining about every call. It, it's a game made for that to, to complain about. It's, it's the most difficult game there is to officiate. Uh, you know, 10 large men in a small area. But uh, <laughs> yeah. They got to do something. They have to do something. That, I never thought about that way, but they're, it's 10 large men over six <laughs> feet tall, some very much over six feet tall yeah. playing in a small area. Yeah. Yeah. And Taylor Jenkins, by the way, the Memphis coach. Yes. So, so he goes on this rant and calls the, the officiating arrogant yes. and atrocious. You know, Memphis by far is averaging more free throws per game than the other playoff teams across <laughs> and, the entire league. They are number one in way, free throw attempts per game. By the way, here he is a leader of men, right? He gets fined fifteen grand. Yeah. Every time Pat <laughs> Beverly turns around and scowls at somebody, he gets twenty five thousand. You know, he gets thirty thousand. They're stealing his that I thought he'd get fifty, you know, by the by throwing out the arrogant word, you know, that uh you know, these guys are too arrogant to call a game right, is what he's saying. And he's a coach and he only gets fined fifteen thousand. Those must be Memphis prices or something. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Uh, but again, I would imagine if you're the Wolves, you you got through the first quarter on on uh, Saturday with uh, very few fouls called, you know, and Cat uh, didn't get fouls, you know, didn't get fouls, and uh, and so everything was fine. I you got to be paranoid. Tonight, he's going to get three in the first quarter. He, every time he and Jackson come together and bang into each other, those yeah. are all 50-50. When they hit each other, it's just – it is official's whim as to which guy they want to call a foul on because there's a foul there. And, you know, you, Caddis still has to uh, – even though he made it through the last game, game four, he still has to – be careful to get dumb fouls because there's a very good chance that these there's nobody in history who can go 
from one to three quicker than this moron at times, right? <laughs> I, I mean, oh, he called one on me. I'll show him and I'll bang into the guy the next time down the court and, uh, at, you know, turn around, scream at an official, and then next time down the court, do the same damn thing and think you're not going to get called for a foul. You got to be an idiot. Yeah. And he and, doesn't, uh, there's no nuance. There's no, no, no there's no, no like strategic thought. No, you know, no, he is, uh, he is out of, but I, have I got, have we received a great breakdown as to, I'm not enough of a genius to how, what did they do differently to actually get the ball to him in game four when they didn't do anything in game three. Yeah. They didn't do anything to get the game. Now, my theory is in game three, they didn't have to get the ball to him until crunch time, right? Because they were, they were up 25, you know, they were, whatever they were doing was working. And then when it stopped working, they said, ah, what, you know, we can't get the ball to him. We can't, uh, uh, but, that was a poorly coached, poorly executed, god awful meltdown. But to come back and uh, win Game Four was pretty damn impressive. And yep, I don't know. It, it, in Memphis, are they bashing J- John Morant, Morant now? Like we bashed? Yeah, Garrett? that's a good it's question. Like, I guess it would be fun to to sample. I think. Yeah, I don't know one way or the other, but I think well, I think not. they love him so much, and his sure. personality is, is so great. Plus, but... it's not a market with thirty years of history of yeah. you know thirty years of uh, of being uh, in the playoffs, ten out of thirty. And I mean, where people, if I, we did a last week, we did a a pecking order of the ten greatest Timberwolves individual playoff performances, and uh, boy, we had to dig deep for that one. Yes. There was a there was a Dean Garrett twenty six and fifteen in there somewhere from the late nineties, but but there was a game. I think it was the game, the decisive game five against the Sonics in like ninety eight or ninety nine, you know, one of those years. And Anthony Peeler went off for like twenty eight or thirty points, and the Wolves were leading at halftime. But if I and I'm I'm ninety percent sure I'm right on this game, but KG and Marbury combined for like fourteen points in the game, wow. and they lost. You know, now, decisive remind five. me, is that the series? That was the best of five, and they led it two games to one, right? Didn't they? Lead and then it? they lo- they lose the next two. Yeah. Didn't the Wolves lead that one two games to one? I, I thought you might did. be right. Let me. I can look it up real quick. But I guess one my question to you was: did, did people fillet the young nucleus of Marbury and KG oh, for a I, failure? I, you know, I have a. I have a hunch we didn't because we saw all the glories of this tandem that were in front of us, which, of course, blew up about 20 minutes later when Steph, okay, Steph, we gave Kevin Garnett this maximum deal, $105 million or whatever it was, but now they have put in new lo- rules, Steph, we can't pay you this much, yeah. Steph, okay? We can. This is the match we can pay you," he said. "I don't care. I want as much as as, as Kevin is making. That was. I w- I had to think. Trying to talk logic to Steph was a very difficult task. Yes, because you could not explain to him that you couldn't do this, which he insisted had to be done. So. Yeah. Well, and this, so this was this was the second year of their of their playoff run. And it was, you're right. They were up two games to one. It was a five game series. They lost game four at home, 92 to 88. And then they went back to Seattle 
They were leading at halftime by three points. Uh, in the game, so Marbury played 45 minutes. Peeler played 43. KG played 42. KG went three for 11, Ooh. seven points, 10 turnovers. Oof. What? Yes. 10 turnovers? <laughs> Stefan Marbury went seven points, five turnovers on two of 10 from the floor. So the, so the two core star players absolutely soiled themselves in this game. Uh, and, I'll and so back, I'll have to go back and look and see if we wrote that this guy's never going to make it. Right. Month. And so that, that's my, my question here is, and I'm, and I'm asking it to myself too, because I was like, I said some things about towns after game three and I, everything I said about his behavior, I stand by. He, he like, it's embarrassing the way that he acts sometimes, but how much of what we're seeing in some of these ugly games is, well, you just kind of, you got to kind of take your lumps in the postseason and take criticism and grow from it versus yeah. eh, this might be who you are. Yeah, that's uh, well. That's true. Plus, you know, clunkers happen. I, you know, I, I mean, okay, he's. I guess you'd have to say he's had three clunkers, so that's that's a pattern. There's no doubt about it. But you know, sometimes a guy went over four. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with three strikeouts, and it wasn't Miguel Sano. It was somebody who can actually hit. You know, hey, he's up to oh eighty three now. So yeah, <laughs> yes, but uh, you know the. It is funny how in the NBA we put a historical significance into it as though it's a football game, right? In the play, you know, the, instead of a four day a week task that you're playing. And, but in a baseball game, it's just, ah, oh, you had a bad day. You know, that's, that's, that's the difference. Some, sometimes in basketball, you got a bad day and you're not making shots and then, I, I don't know. Every everything was wrong last week, but uh, hey, I'm I'm interested to uh, see what's going on tonight. And we get a six forty start too, so it doesn't have to be twelve thirty in the morning. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, okay. Over uh, over on the baseball side of town here. So Rocco Baldelli said after Sunday's game that Byron Buxton is the best baseball player in the world. I agree. When he's on the field, I agree. Do you think that's an overstatement? Yes. I think even when he's on the field and playing with some consistency, uh, you you help stir people up on that, by the way, that they're now <laughs> trying to uh, declare him to be better than Puck. I would never. Declare him to be better than Puck. Some more well, I never said that. I never no. said that. Uh, well, this, they, they have reached this and everybody's saying in his last 150 games, who gives a damn? It's been three years. Okay. He is, I may have stirred that one. Yeah. I said, who gives a damn? It's been, it's not supposed to take three years to play 162 game season. Listen, one of those was a pandemic shortened season. Yes. Okay. Okay. Listen. He, I looked it up yesterday. He's batting 400 the last five years, meaning he has batted in 400. <laughs> he is battered in four. He's 401 is his appearance average. Yeah, <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's played in 40 percent of the last of the games in the last uh, five years. So. God, I love him as a player, too. I've been saying for three years they're 20% better when he's on the field, you know, in all areas. But, and it it was a great lesson of baseball that 
unbelievable monstrous home run he hit off that pitch high and hard and because he wouldn't have had a chance to touch it for the, the well the first four years he spent in the big leagues it's a it's a lesson as to how hard this game is to master isn't it how long it took this guy to become yeah. a hitter i mean five years ago he was hitting 150 and they had to send him to the minor leagues he had no chance he had no chance take strike one foul strike two they could have thrown the third pitch in the dugout and he would have swung at it uh for uh <laughs> Two two years, it was the most inept thing, worse than Snow's ever been. Yeah, don't you think and, it's also like when you get up there with with a plan and some confidence? So yes. you you now know what you're looking for, where you're looking for it, and you know you can hit it. Get out front of it, and that's yes. what we're seeing with him. And the best thing he ever did was three years ago. He told everybody to shut up. I'm I'm. I'm going to go back to what I did when I got out of high school, which see the ball, hit it as hard as I can, instead of get my leg kick and, uh, yeah. you know, get into a hitter's count. Who, who gave him the leg kick? Was that Bruno? Was that Tom Bernanski? Oh, no, that was, you was know, Tory? advised it to him, I think, Tory Hunter. Tory. Oh, right? no, Tory Hunter. Tory. When he was really struggling, they thought uh-huh. he needed a timing mechanism. No, he needed a brain mechanism. He, <laughs> You know, there's nothing to drive. What amazes me is he had Molitor as a manager. Molitor is the best first pitch fastball hitter I ever saw in my life. You couldn't throw, even when he was 38, you couldn't throw a first pitch fastball past him because he was ready to hit it. And how he could not have any influence to get this guy ready to hit when he was a kid is amazing to me. The number of first pitch fastballs that were right down the pipe that he took was what killed him as far as I'm concerned. And he's finally, and now they don't throw him the first pitch fastball down the pipe because they know he's ready to hit it. Yeah, well, so yeah. so last year he batted, uh, we threw this out a few weeks ago, he, he swung at the first pitch 46 times last year, 23 hits, three of them were, uh, I'm sorry, he got hit by the first pitch three times. So he was 23 of 43 on first yeah. pitches. And 15 of those 23 were extra base hits last year. And and in 2017, they all would have been strikes. <laughs> right. Because he wouldn't You're hanging swung. out with Joe Maurer too much. You know, Joe Maurer was good enough to, to – oh, by the yes. way, this year, he has swung at the first pitch four times this year. He's three for four with a home run and a double. Yes, because they aren't throwing him. He's hitting like 600 on the first pitch the last they two years. They aren't throwing him those same first pitch – pitches that he used to always get and Joe I think I don't think Joe ever came to him and said you got to hit like me but I think that was sight of a mentality going through the organization professional at bats yeah professional bat getting a hitter's count uh no this is the best pitch you're gonna see hit it yeah the first pitch by the way is a hitter's count because and I, you know, it's yeah. coming from a guy that quit baseball high school. No. But like, if you know what you're, this is what hitting coaches would say. You know, we had enough conversations on our radio shows throughout the years with the you know, the Molitors and the Bernanskis. Okay, first pitch. If it's this pitch in this location, I am swinging and I'm going to barrel it up, right? But if you get up there and you're like, ah, I'm going to take the first pitch or not have a yeah. game plan, you're yeah. going to get behind. You're screwed. Uh, you know, what I'm a little worried about is the Larnick kid. He 
likes to, I think he's still the flat out guess hitter. Did you see him the other day? Mm-hmm. Bases loaded, three two pitch, right down the whole pipe. Not ready. You're not ready to hit that pitch with the bases loaded. Yeah. You know, you're guessing breaking ball. You can't. You got to be able to adjust. And and he takes a whole bunch of pitches. That guy. He's he's still a. I, I like some things about him, but uh, he's he's one guy that's. You know he's he's still up there guessing at every pitch that they throw. So, uh, but there's there's something going on there. But that's you know that's the young Buxton might have done that too. But the, you throw the Buxton that pitch that Larnick Larnick took for strike three with the bases loaded, and it would have been in the same place the other one was. So the other thing is swing is just you know he's he's going when he, it's, it's not as long as it was. He's going, I think he starts at a little different place, but then he finishes big, but I never imagined him becoming this strong. Did you? Oh, no. This strong, you know, I mean, that he could hit it up there. I, you know, I thought he would be a line drive gap hitter who would hit 18 home runs. And if he was really, really got good. Yeah. But uh, this is uh, who, man, he's, He's done some serious work in the offseason. It also shows you, like you, you look at golfers and you think, oh, you know, if you want to hit the ball far, you, you know, for years, you got to, you got to build muscle. But then you look at a guy like Dustin Johnson. It's, it's mm-hmm. less about how bulky and big you are, and it's more about the whip on your swing. And, and he's a lanky guy. So yeah, yeah, he is. He's, uh, and he's done. I mean, he's done great things with himself physically, I think, in the off-seasons. And, and I also, with his own trainers, by the way, he's gone back to Georgia and said, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm not going to hit the way you wanted me to hit. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I I got to think the new hitting coach might say, how you doing, Brian? Byron? And he says, I'm fine, you know, and keeps on going. Because, Have a good uh, day, sir. Yep. This, is, uh, <laughs> this was a guy that uh, had 22 thoughts in his head when he came to the plate five years ago, and now he's got one. So since Declan threw this out on the Score North Twitter account today, so over the last, so if you go back to 2019, so he's he's played in about half the games. So he's played in about 200 games. He has not played in 203 games. When he plays, this is from Jeff Passan, yes. the Twins are 50 games above 500 with a plus 233 run differential. When he doesn't, the Twins are 15 games below 500 with a minus 97 run differential. It's a 100-win pace when he plays. It's a 75-win pace when he doesn't since the beginning of 2019. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about it. His influence is, is incredible. But it, the one last thing about him as a hitter, there's a famous story about, you know, Jimmy Wiesner was the old equipment manager of the Twins and big buddies of uh, – of Gaetti and Herbeck and would go out and have cocktails with them. And there's a, a guy was in the next hotel room and Wheeze was in bad shape coming home that night. And Gaetti and Herbeck were with him and they were trying to push him in his room. And he was holding on each side of the door screaming, see the ball, hit the ball. <laughs> the ball, which is what Herbeck and Gaetti's battle cry was. And that's what he's doing. See the ball, hit the ball. He has taken all the other crap out of it. And he's yep. see the ball, hit the ball, which is interesting because Correa is the, Correa is the opposite. He's got all the 
You know, he goes to the plate with all the analytic in his uh, mind. I'd like to see him, the real him here pretty soon, wouldn't yeah. you? Well, I did we see a report. This might be a genius time to put the report out when he's, you know, he's off to a slow start. But someone reported that he is open to a conversation about a long-term contract with the Twins. So, sure. If it's yeah, if it starts with two hundred eighty million dollars, <laughs> nine years. That's we'll true. So Scott Boris has never been open to. Uh, I see Scott got exposed on the Conforto thing, though. He kept Conforto. He's Conforto's agent. Yeah, he's healthy. He's ready. He turned down eighteen mil. You know, he turned down a qualifying offer, and uh, he didn't play. Didn't play spring training, but they kept swearing he was healthy. Now he had to have shoulder surgery. Yeah. So uh, they were trying to get a contract for him while he was hurt, which is kind He of feels bad. great. Trust me. Where is yeah, he? We haven't yeah. seen him. No, don't worry about <laughs> it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Scott has never given anybody a bargain on anything. So. No. All right. We'll, we'll get your full uh, Viking seven-round mock draft tomorrow. We ran out of time for it today. We'll get your full seven-round mock draft tomorrow on the show. Stingley, even though he only played three games last year. Uh, you got to take the corner if he's there, right? Don't you? I see him. Well, he so yeah. Pro Football Focus actually they put their final big board out today, and uh, he's the second best player in the draft according Ooh. to. So if if that's how, and I know Quasey has sort of that PFF analytics mind and works with people with that company. So there if he's if he's there, they probably these, take him. There isn't a quarterback in this draft who should be drafted in the first three rounds. And a couple of these are going to get drafted ahead of them, which shows you how stupid teams are. Desperate. They, you know. None of these quarterbacks can play. I would, take, guy, I would take a chance on Malik Willis. I would take a chance if I had the right coach and, and people in place. But the other ones? No, eh. no, no, no. But it's really amazing how, you know, Christian ponders of the world are now uh, first-round draft choices. It's, uh, we should go back to the days when the NFL was – we're not, we're going to draft this kid and he's going to play in four years anyway. What do we care? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not going to play anyway. So. <laughs> yep. All, All right, right, Pat. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. That's yeah. wrapping with Royce here, presented by our friends at Federated Mutual Insurance Company. You know, they're, you know it's draft week. Mm-hmm. A lot of risks, potential risks to be taken. Well, Federated is all about mitigating risk and limiting uh, the potential for risk against your company. You can find out more about how Federated can elevate your business to new levels at federatedinsurance.com, where it's our business to protect yours. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.